0: Welcome to Incarcerate Radio, a production of Incarcerate being broadcast live from the studio of 88.1 WPE, your West Philly community radio station. In the last three decades, the prison population in Pennsylvania has risen by 600% while violent crime has stayed put or gone down. Politicians, prosecutors, and police have targeted low-income communities of color, stopping, harassing and arresting our neighbors and leaving whole generations with criminal records. Enough is enough. Decarcerate PA is a coalition of individuals and organizations working to put an end to the damaging system we call mass incarceration. And our three-point platform outlines how we aim to get there. First, we say, no new prison. That means cancelling the $450 million construction in Graterford and passing a moratorium against future prison projects. New prisons waste our resources and help cause the future they claim to prepare for. It. The 19 new prisons built in the last 33 years haven't made us safer, they've just allowed us to continue in the wrong direction. Second, we call for decarceration itself. That means reversing the policies of mass incarceration and reducing the prison population. We can't stop building prisons and keep the failed laws and policies that filled them to begin with. Mandatory minimums must go. Everyone should be eligible for parole. People with substance abuse problems should get treatment, not jail time. Mass incarceration is a product of bad laws, and we need to change them. Finally, we understand that the real problems in our communities can't be ignored. That's why the third point of our platform calls for community reinvestment, We want the money being wasted on prisons to be reinvested in schools, healthcare, social services, job training classes, and addiction treatment programs. These are the things that actually make our community safer, and it's time we made them our priority.
1: Our platform is
0: a plan but our strength is in the thousands of people all across the state and country who are standing up against a broken, oppressive system. Join us every Saturday from noon to one to hear how they're working to create a world without prisoners.
2: Welcome, everybody. Uh, You're listening to WPEV and 88.1 FM, your West Philadelphia community radio. And we
3: have a... We have, we're kind of like full today. Um, We have Owen
2: and Matt and Dave and myself, Anna, and we have Hannah from ICJ. Um, You guys want to introduce yourself really briefly? Hey, my name is Hannah Zellman um, and I'm a founding member of Decarcerate PA and the director of the Institute for Community Justice.
0: Yeah, um, this is Owen. And uh, we're gonna talk with Hannah in just a minute. First, we're gonna play uh, an interview that was recorded last week with Teresa Sullivan who also works at the Institute for Community Justice. She does a couple of different things there, but we talked to her about the prison health news program. So we're gonna play some excerpts from that interview, and then we're gonna come back and talk with Hannah about the Institute for Community Justice as a whole and some of the things that came up in that interview.
3: Hi, My name is Teresa Sullivan. I work for the Institute for Community Justice. It's a program at Philadelphia Fight. I've been working here for about seven years now. Um, I wear a lot of hats and um, the work I do. I the do. one you're wearing right now. Thank you so much. Um, the main hat that I wear is I'm an um, educator and instructor for our signature program called Teach Outside. Um, it's a five-week program designed to educate and inform uh, people who are HIV positive who have a history of incarceration or coming back home out of the prison systems to make sure that they take their medications, they know how the virus works in their bodies, giving them resources they need to plug in, you know, keeping them from falling through the cracks from jail to home, right? We want to make sure we incorporate the education they need so they can be more productive citizens and live a long, healthy life. Because um, HIV is no longer a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was years ago in the 80s, but it's not now. And it's a need to educate people who are newly diagnosed, especially women of color, because um, now we are like 30% of the epidemic. Mm-hmm. And also men, And by seven which stands for men who sleep with men, especially the youth, they don't think they're at risk, mm-hmm. you know, um, coming home and they don't plug in. So we have two ways of getting Uh, connected with these people is we have care outreach workers who work in the prison. Um, We also have the Jonathan Lock Center over at Philadelphia Fight and the doctors there they connect with us um, through our program and we enroll them in the five week course. Um, The course is only two days a week but we know that coming home is hard and, and it's a struggle so we make sure that we provide them with a stipend check if they graduate. Uh, Some kind of incentive, you know, Mm -hmm. because they're giving their time. And then when they're giving them time, we want them to make sure that that we value their time and we know that coming home, they might not have no no job or plugged Mm -hmm. into social uh, welfare or anything because welfare basically got cut, Mm -hmm. as you probably already know. Um, And we graduate them. It's a beautiful ceremony. Um, They get a a certificate of completion and a $100 stipend check. You know, um, And they can move into other programs that we have once they graduate from that one.
0: Thanks for explaining a little bit about that program. I was hoping you could talk about Prison Health News, another of your hats maybe, yeah. and introduce us to that program as well and tell us maybe a little bit about how it started.
3: So Prison Health News got started back in 2006, and it got it started for formerly incarcerated individuals coming home. Um, what they did is they would go up to the 84 bus stop that takes you up to State Road, um, all the jails up on State Road, and would talk to family members about um, if your your loved one getting the net their needs met, or they receiving their medications, or is anybody violating their rights while they're in jail. We are here for you, giving us your name, your phone number, get hold of us. We will go up there and talk to these individuals and make sure they get meds that they're not being put into solitary confinement unnecessarily, and if they do have a diagnosis of HIV, we make ensure that they plug into the doctor, Dr. D, up the on State Road. Um, there's a lot of time when people were going up there, and they didn't want to tell that they were positive, so they, they didn't take their medications. That has changed through the process of people who were farming incarcerated, going up to 80, the bus 84, talking to family members to make sure all those needs are met. So that's how I got started um, It' has expanded over the years. I came on board in 07 um, and it changed to it came out of the need for people who were farming frustrated who were positive right uh, We sat around and wrote like articles that are, like HIV related articles that were related to political movements around the country. Um, and especially articles that, because people have more than just HIV, so they may have a diagnosis of like diabetes or HIV or a diagnosis of high blood pressure and HIV. So we make sure that we wrote those articles and this newsletter goes to all the state um, prisons around the country and all the um, uh, state road jails. So it's like over 2,000 copies that goes out four times a year. Um, we have here at the Institute for Community Justice a group of individuals who meet every Tuesday. That because we can't do this newsletter without the input of people who came home. Mm-hmm. They are the experts on what is needed for people who are currently still in jail. So we like have them meet every Tuesday for about an hour. We have conversations about what do you think that we should write this time. Um, we also incorporate art and poetry in there, uplifting people while they're still in jail. Um, we have people have come in and wrote articles from uh, med students, they write their articles um, on TV, which we know is a big problem now, you know, and how to, to make sure that you are getting tested for it, getting treated for it, and what to look for, right. Um, and we do that every Tuesday of the week here at the Institute for Community Justice.
0: You said it gets sent out quarterly, so four times a year, to jails and prisons all over the country? All over the
3: country. We have this mass database um, where we send it to all the state jails, uh, upper-state jails. We have a mailing list. And we make sure they all get it, all the jails are on state road, plus we send it to other organizations. Mm-hmm. If they request us to like send in bulk like fifty to seventy-five copies, we send it to them so they can put it out in the organization and people are aware of uh, prison health news.
0: So individuals get it and also the prisons, or for as an institution. We we
3: melt mail it to individuals. We would love for it to be up in the uh, in, in, in the libraries, and that's a good plug. And the thing that I would bring back to the core group of prison health news, like how can we get it in the libraries up in um, the state road or up in the uh, State jails. Um, that's a next step. This is always a process of like building and doing better um, things to make sure the prison news reaches everybody, not just the people who are incarcerated, but those who are like the prison guards or the, um, the police commissioners up there. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure they, you know, get it in like the medical offices when people are just sitting waiting to see a doctor and they it's like you know when you sit in the doctor's office you always pick up a magazine and mm-hmm. you read it. We're hoping that we have it there and in the library where they just pick it up and they read it. And like, oh this is really nice. Yeah, you usually
0: know? when I'm in the doctor's office I find out things I didn't need to know about Brad Pitt or something. But it would be <laughs> better if I if I got some actual information. Information
3: in some information that, that, that you can use by. that affects you and your loved ones, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it also Asks people when they read it, we ask them to, like, if you have an article or you're a poet or you're an artist, please submit your, your stuff to us, and we will get it in the next Prison health newsletter. So um, it gives people a voice. Because you know, behind the walls, people's voices are silent. You know, you have to, like, listen to the guards, wake up, sleep, eat when they say. And their voices are not being heard. So this is a way to make sure that their voices are heard and it's sent out and they feel like someone's listening to them. And for some individuals behind the walls, this may be the only mail they receive. Mm -hmm. So it really does brighten up their day that someone's out here on the outside working for you, and we got your back, you know, to make sure that all your needs are met while you're incarcerated.
0: It seems like a unique situation where you have two types of specialists. You have the medical specialists Mm -hmm. who might have a certain amount of scientific knowledge about diseases. And then you've also got the specialists on being incarcerated with the yes, people who have been incarcerated or are currently incarcerated. And there's something about this project is blending those two. So it's letting the prison specialists, essentially, unfortunately, mm-hmm. inform the medical specialists on what they need to hear in order to, to, to live comfortably or live safely in this terrible context.
3: Yeah. You can't do one without the other. How do you talk about being in mass incarceration um, to people who have not experienced it? Mm -hmm. So we have to have two um, tiers and platforms, the medical side to make sure we have accurate information, medical information going inside our prison health news. We also have the voices of people who have experienced mass incarceration or have been incarcerated for some time, but are currently home now, and they want to give back they know what it was like to be back behind the walls and and what they had to go through, right? So and they know that their voices want, needed to be heard. So they want to make sure those people that are still there get their voices heard. It's a way to help people uh, re-engarge and, and come back into society feeling like, hey, when I come home, I know I have somewhere to go. You know, and the Institute for Community Justice is a re-entry center. This is a place where they can come and get the resources and programs and plug back in, you know, and feel like they're part of something, you know, and be part of the solution and not the problem.
0: And you're listening to 88.1 WPEB FM in Philadelphia, your West Philly community radio station. This is Decarcerate Radio. We have Hannah Zellman from ICJ, the Institute for Community Justice, here with us, and you've been listening to an interview with Teresa Sullivan, who also works at ICJ and helps with the Prison Health News program. We're going to hear another excerpt from that, and then we're going to come back to the station and talk with Hannah and your regular Decarcerate Radio crew, Hannah and Matt and Dave, um, about Prison Health News and the other programs at the Institute for Community Justice.
3: So we just had a community forum, Um, event on February 22nd and we were talking about ban the box issues and ban the box basically is a Pennsylvania ordinance that on all job applications they ask the question have you ever been convicted of a crime? Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Um, And that has been a barrier for a lot of people coming home to like fill out an application and they get to that box they freeze up and they're like you know what's the point? You know, and it opts them out from getting the job. So what happened a few years ago is um, we worked very hard for Pennsylvania to make sure that employees cannot ask that question on job applications. However, we've been finding it on a lot of job applications, and they have not removed it. Um, so we had this community form. And a community that you have the right to, like, tell us Inform us that you, you fill out a job application and this question was on there. And what we do in turn is um, send it to the commissioner um, in City Hall and let another know our mayor. And they will find that company $250 mm-hmm. over and over and over until they remove it. Because we believe that everyone deserves a second chance. Mm-hmm. Um, that that question on there should not be a deterrent for people who have changed their lives, did their time, came back into society, you know, and give them a second chance. You know, let them be able to get in that first interview, right? Um, Because a lot of times when you see people looking at a piece of paper, they're going to identify what they see on that paper. But if, you know, that question's not there, They'll see that, you know, you're qualified for this job. Then you can tell them in the the, the initial interview. Mm -hmm. And you can explain, you know, this is what happened, you know, but I'm not that person anymore. I, you know, changed my life. I, you know, I went back to school. I got a degree. I got some kind of training underneath my belt now. I qualify for this and what I will bring to your your organization to make it better. And you can sell yourself in the the, uh, initial interview more likely you might may or may not get the job, but more likely it gives you a better chance.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Uh, That's why we want to remove that ban the box question.
0: And that's part of how increasingly, you know, people have to carry their sentence and their record with them outside of, you know, once they have done their time. And sort of breaking down this idea of inside and outside, because some people, (laughs) you might be outside, but some ways you're still locked up, you're still being confined. And kept away from opportunities, I think that is sort of relevant to how Prison Health News can be for everyone, not just for people who are currently incarcerated.
3: Yeah, and Prison Health News is like not just a newsletter for you to read, but it's like a political movement mm-hmm. to make we change those those systems that are set up to, like, be barriers for people coming home, you know, and to the community. Um and the people that come to be part of Prison Health News know that. And they get good information that you can personally use to change their lives and remove them barriers. Um, and Prison Health News has been doing it for since 2006, and we currently still do it. Mm-hmm. And it. And like I said in the beginning, it also gives people a voice, you know, and and, and informs people about what are the systems that are set up. So. You can avoid those roadblocks. Or you can become part of, like, removing them systems um, and join an organization that's fighting to remove those um, the barriers for people who have formerly incarcerated. I like to call them returning citizens, right? I know tags stereotype people when you say inmate or convict. I like to call them returning citizens because they are, and they're returning back to our community. So why don't we have some programs for them to return to, instead of putting all, funneling all this money to um, have mass incarceration, lock up people for these long-term sentences that are outrageous, right? And a lot of these are, like, minor charges of, like, their first-time, second-time drug charges of marijuana, right? Or they can't, they get locked up, they can't pay those bells to $60. That's ridiculous. We need alternatives to give people other than locking them up. We need more programs in our community, and that's where the money needs to filter, to,
0: instead of prisons.
3: Amen.
0: You're still listening to 88.1 WPEB-FM. We're going to hear one more clip from that interview with Teresa Sullivan, and we'll be back in the station with Hannah Zellman from the Institute of Community Justice and the rest of the Decarcerate Radio crew to talk about prison health news and the other great programs that ICJ runs. So Prison Health News is also a way for people to connect, to talk about, you said, removing those barriers, not just informing people about right. the barriers, but also a way to get together so that, as you know, we can make that voice heard to actually change the system. Right,
3: yes, it is. And we meet every Tuesday, and we have had the group of people that meet on Tuesday, and there was something currently going on, like the incarceration PA. Mm-hmm. These people have joined that long walk they did to Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. Um. They had joined in March to talk about the pipeline to schools. Mm-hmm. Um, my own grandson was part of YASP, mm-hmm. um, the Youth and Self Empowerment Program, art, Youth Art Self Empowerment Program, project. and now he's currently uh, Ceasefire. You know, um, can you talk a little bit about um, your Tuesday meetings and like how people can get involved? Absolutely, it's nothing but to show up. Um, we cap it off at least at 35 because we have that one room and it can get real crowded in there. Um, you have to be here at 2 o'clock on Tuesdays. It's for about an hour. We always go over and that's mm-hmm. fine because people still need to talk about what's really going on about the systems in the community, or their personal lives.
2: Mm-hmm. And we
3: give them that space to do that. Um, and we ask them that if you have an article you want to write please give it to us. We will like edit it, look at it, give it back to you, give you our feedback. And it was really, really good. And, um, and it fits the six tiers that we have for Prison Health News, whether it be health issue, political issue, whether it be something about jail, or removing the systems and barriers that's happening to people who have been behind the wall. If it fits underneath in front of those. We'll put it in the prison health newsletter.
0: It strikes me that what you're talking about here is, is to some extent, like intersecting forms of oppression. You know, people who are who are getting stigmatized or oppressed on multiple different levels. The more things you have stacked against you, the more relevant this is, right? Yeah,
3: because we are a community health newsletter. We involve the community. Um, and we, yes, we do talk about the marginalized people and populations because they're the most vulnerable and they're the most not-looked-at communities in the systems of our government. So we make sure that we bring them to the table um, They have their voices heard, um, to give them the information, arm them with the tools they need. I always say tools, not rules, right? We don't give anyone the rules, but we give them the tools to make sure that they can, like, do what they need to do not just for themselves but for the community, the family members, and for those who are still behind the walls. you know, and have a voice be heard at the table because if you're not at the table when decisions are being made, I always say that you're going to be on the menu, right So educate yourself, inform yourself with information so that you don't be cut out the picture. right? So when you're talking to these people who can change the systems for you, who have the power to do that, you're armed with the information to tell them, like, if you don't change this, we will not put you in office. Mm-hmm. You know, and making an advocates and activists out of them. You know, people believe that, you know, it's some kind of uh, process you must go through to be an activist or an advocate. No, you just got to be heated up and angry about the issue mm-hmm. and have the be articulate and given the information how to go and address those issues and have the, the right target.
0: Yeah. Um, any ideas about who the right targets are these
3: days? <laughs> I, you know, I'm gonna take the fifth on that. All right, um, I'm not because um, that's your right. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, my right. But there's a lot of targets out there, you know, that um, people need to know about. Mm-hmm. Know, really know who you're putting in office. You know, do your research because they might say something in in a sound bite. Mm -hmm. That sounds good to you, and you go vote for that person. When they're in office, you're like, "Oh my goodness, I wish I didn't vote for this person because they're not about me and mine."
0: Mm So that's a good plug for the gubernatorial candidate forum that we have coming up. I believe that both Decarcerate's a a sponsor, and uh, I think either Fight or ICJ or somebody else Mm -hmm. is a sponsor. I saw I saw the flyer on your desk. Yeah. there will be more information. That's on that support at the support center
3: show. for support center for prison advocacy.
0: Yeah. Um, great. Is there anything else you wanted to add?
3: No. This was a great interview, and I'm glad this is going to be um, on a radio station um, where people can hear this. You know, the more we do this, the more we get this word out, the more people will come together and know that they do have people who got their back. You know, and they can join an organization that moves forward to move the barriers and the challenges of people who have been incarcerated and deserve a second chance in life.
0: Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. You're, you're very
3: welcome. Yeah.
0: And we're back in the station. You're listening to 88.1 WPEB-FM, Philadelphia, your West Philly community radio station. This is Decarcerate Radio. We're here every Saturday from noon to 1 Today we have Hannah Zellman from ICJ, the Institute for Community Justice, in the studio with us. You just heard an interview with Teresa Sullivan, who also works at the Institute for Community Justice. Hannah, would you start off by explaining to us um, if people missed the beginning of the interview or if it wasn't clear what the Institute for Community Justice is, maybe a bit of its background, how it got started, and what other programs it does?
2: Sure. Um, the Institute for Community Justice is a program of Philadelphia Fight. Um, and Fight is a comprehensive aid service organization. One of the biggest things that we do at Fight is provide um, comprehensive HIV uh, specific primary medical care to folks. Um, and so, well over a decade ago, it sort of became very clear that a lot of the folks that we take care of in our clinic were going in and out of jail and prison we would sort of lose track of people and not know where they had gone and why they weren't coming to the doctor and they would come back and say oh i was in jail and so at that point we thought okay we need to sort of figure out how to not lose people during that period when they're not in the community um and started going into the philadelphia prison system which is the local county jails um to just work with people Mm -hmm throughout their incarceration um, and make sure that they were getting adequate medical care on the inside. Um, We did a lot of work to solve systemic barriers um, that existed at that point for folks being able to be healthy on the inside um, and then do, you know, discharge planning and all sorts of kind of case management type work for folks coming home. Um, And that's work that we still do for folks living with HIV, although have been able to really expand that in the last few years to be providing similar services for folks who are at high risk, which when we think about the prison system, um, we really see ourselves as working at the intersection of HIV and mass imprisonment um, because the the sort of structural drivers of the AIDS epidemic are the same structural drivers of mass imprisonment in the United States. And the sort of individual vulnerabilities that people face that make them, you know, vulnerable to criminalization and incarceration, are again the same kind of, you know, individual um, vulnerabilities that make folks um, more likely to acquire HIV. And so we really see ourselves as kind of trying to holistically um, approach approach that from a lot of different angles, both direct service and advocacy work. And Teresa talked a lot about. A couple of our programs and some of our you know community organizing advocacy work um, and I think that one of the things that she she did touch on was kind of the heart of ICJ which is our reentry center we have developed a drop-in model and everything that we do sort of centers around having a safe space for folks that are coming home um, folks who have family members on the inside um, and really providing educational opportunities you know what what we would say in a grant is therapeutic recreation, things like yoga and creative writing and opportunities for people to find healing, safe space, build different kinds of community than they might've had um, in their neighborhoods and really develop peer leadership models so that the folks that we're seeing have an opportunity, like Teresa was saying, to have their voices heard, to be at the forefront of these conversations, to be at the forefront of developing the kind of social services that folks need to be safe to live whole, healthy, vibrant lives.
0: You talked a little bit of, about vulnerabilities there and some of the indicators. Just to lay it all out, what what are you talking about? So, you know, when you say vulnerabilities, <laughs> somebody's individually vulnerable mm-hmm. in this intersection of um HIV positivity, are we you know, what is that?
2: I mean we are talking about persistent poverty. We are talking about homelessness. We are talking about racism and sexism and homophobia. Um, all of those things make folks less able to protect their health um, because, you know, folks that are experiencing poverty that may not have their sort of urgent needs met are often engaged in things like sex work, are struggling with addiction, um, and, and those are things that are both criminalized and and make you vulnerable um, to acquiring HIV. I
4: think, um, um, I think uh, Greg, Greg Smith, who was an ACT UP member, mm-hmm. um, who, who, was, uh, who was locked up, who died um, several years ago, is a really good example of that. Do you, do you feel like uh, talking a little about his case and how that's kind of like one of those intersections?
2: so that was slightly before my time Uh I don't I don't um, I know a little bit about his case because I think and correct me if I'm wrong because this was like Mm -hmm. a little bit before I came to Philly and got involved with ACT UP and doing this work but he was someone that was criminalized um, because of his HIV status Um, am I correct and it involved a police officer and and yeah
4: yeah I think I think the case was he he either uh, was accused of biting or spitting at a CO and got a You know, while he was inside and he got a, you know, I think huge sentence, maybe even a life sentence out of that. And he became a, I don't know, I think it's a really good example of one of those, you know, like somebody who's, who's black already targeted by the, by the, you know, prison industrial complex and then further criminalized because of their, you know, you know, like pariah status, having HIV, um, and you know it was it was completely it was just it was completely irrational on the part of on on the part of the state um, having charges like that stick because you know like i don't know like spitting at a guard i think that's what it actually might have been and it's just like you know it's not even like um, like scientifically I mean, yeah. accurate, yeah, yep.
2: and I think his case is is not um is not unique and it's not an outlier. We are yeah. in an age of increasing criminalization of folks living with HIV, um, and it is it, there is a profound like lack of scientific accuracy to that. It's a lot of you bit someone, you spit on someone, mm-hmm. you know other sort of bodily fluids being involved that do not transmit HIV. Mm-hmm. And I think it's another way, like you said about pariah status, it's another way of really kind of crippling, marginalizing, um, and and really. Just like outright abusing people for their HIV status because there's so many other, you know, we think about homophobia, sort of sex negativity, um, racism, um, really hating poor people. All of these kinds of um, these kinds of things are are like all stacked against folks living with HIV. And here is yet another way to make sure that we are like really marginalizing and criminalizing this mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, um, also, you know, folks, they're, they're incarcerated, um, you know, when it comes to them, they need to to get their medicines, their treatment, and it's really, really key to to have uh, access to it, uh, you know, within sometimes hours. So I don't know if, like, you guys, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys run into cases like that, and, like, what is the response of... Yeah, I mean, I think we've worked really hard with the county jails um, to make sure that folks have quick access as soon as they get in. Um, I will say that some of the medical providers in there who work with folks with HIV are really dedicated to taking care of folks, um, which is difficult in a correctional system, right? There's all sorts of other barriers to people, you know, accessing medication. You know, Teresa talked about stigma and not Wanting to be out about your status, it's not a safe place to be HIV positive um, for a lot of people. And, you know, even just going to the to the clinic can kind of out you. Um, And, you know, there's certainly Mm -hmm. all sorts of folks that work within, you know, prison and jail systems that um, may not be as committed to taking good care of people. We fought really hard to get, you know, um, high quality standard of care inside prisons and jails to make sure that people are accessing the same level of health care that they do on the outside. Um, But, you know, every system is different and there certainly remains really horrific stories of folks not having access. Um, Issues with HIV testing, you know, someone enters the, (coughs) the prison or the jail, is diagnosed with HIV, but maybe somehow falls through the cracks and never gets the diagnosis and then it ends up really, really sick. Um, and so, I mean, there are definitely still horror stories. Um, and I think the other, the other side of that is also the continuity when folks are coming home, um, which is hard in a chaotic jail environment because you don't always know when folks are getting released. A little easier when folks have a clear sentence and release date. Um, but especially if you're living with HIV or other, you know, chronic illnesses – not having access to your medication, not getting your insurance turned back on, not having quick access to medical care and the kind of services and support that are going to help you stay in medical care. If you don't have a safe place to sleep, if you don't have folks to sort of support you, if you don't have access to food, the last thing you're going to do is try to go to the doctor. You know, and I think, I mean, medical care is hard for all of us. I don't go to the doctor as 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 much as I should, and I'm not facing the kind of barriers, you know, in terms of in terms of figuring out how to prioritize being well and okay in the world
0: it seems like part of what we're talking about is that the prison system whether it's county or state isn't designed to take care of people isn't designed to keep people healthy and whole isn't it's designed to keep people separated in cages it's no longer designed to rehabilitate people that sort of logic and that line, as far as the justification of the programs, just has, has dried up completely. It's all about revenge and retribution, and that's a very hard environment in which to introduce this sort of, uh, this, this type of care that treats people as not just even bodies that need to be fixed, but as whole individuals that have all sorts of range of, of issues, both you know, physical, mental, personal, emotional, whatever it may be. And this system isn't designed to, to, to see people like that. I wanted to ask you because your characterization of what ICJ has sort of evolved into spoke to something that I think we've seen a lot this winter with our guests who are fighting mass incarceration on this sort of emotional, psychological level of just resisting the dehumanizing aspect of it. And we saw that with the apiary people coming in, talking about their, their, um, the writing that they published. We saw it with books through bars, people just getting, reading, getting a conversation. We saw that with our conversation about the art. Um, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about how that evolution happened and how that was important to people, that humanizing aspect of the work that you do.
2: I think one of the most profound things about the way in which both fight in general and ICJ and sort of the former incar- incarnation of, of our prison services before we founded ICJ um, is the fact that a lot of the leaders in sort of developing these services were themselves activists living with HIV who'd experienced imprisonment. And so, you know, for those of us um who may not have had that direct experience, although a lot of us have family members and, and a lot of people that we care about on the inside or who've been on the inside. I think really seeking that, that wisdom and that expertise and letting that guide us has really helped us get to a place where that is a priority. And, you know, we're, a lot of us are a bunch of social workers, right? So like, obviously we're coming at this from a place of really trying to see, you know, the like fundamental emotional needs of folks, um, we're dealing with a lot of folks who have complex medical stuff, including, you know, mental health and addiction issues um, and are, you know, both on the street and in prison completely dehumanized. Um, And I think it's a challenge because prisons and jails, like you said, aren't set up like that, but also their top priority is security and control. It's not taking care of people. Um, So we have to really negotiate to get that to be something that they're paying attention to. And, You know, we do all sorts of things on the outside, but also we, like, send people mail every week. Every week, folks get, like, Sudoku and word searches and articles. Um, A lot of our folks are really following decarcerates work and other stuff on the inside because we send them information every week. And for a lot of people, they're not getting any other mail. You know, they're not getting visits throughout their incarceration. And so the, like, simple fact of not forgetting people when they're on the inside, of, like, reminding people every week, visiting them a couple times a month, that like, you're not alone in this. We're fighting for you on the outside. We remember you and we care about you. I mean, it sounds kind of simple, but I think it's so profound in terms of trying to figure out, as long as we kind of have this system, how do we find a way to sort of reach in and and actually be connecting with people and resist the ways in which you know, the prison industrial complex is set up to divide us and to sort of disappear people into the system? Um, and how do we make sure that folks don't get forgotten, don't get lost?
0: Thank you. We're going to take a short break and have a musical interlude here. We'll be right back on Decarcerate Radio at 88.1 WPEB-FM, Philadelphia, your West Philly Community Radio
1: Perfume scent I'm sprayed in. in class with a federal agent's fragrance. I smell a pig. That's a cop racist. I'm an ordinary project dude. I'm subject to genetically modified food. FDA approved, mass produced, we can tell a lie from the truth. Even though I'm flopping in my time for a suit, lay a jet like a concourse, swoop through the air, then I land in my Phantom coupe And I still stand with the Ugandan youth, all the poor kids out in Moscow that live high style. I ride for you when I ride with the top down, listening to Josh sounds. You see how that feel? I see these come with government seals, open it. peak Nas getting at his enemies, in the paragraphs and facsimiles. Governmentalists kill the Kennedys. I heard that Josh Stone got the remedy. Governmental confusion, governmentalist is illusion, governmental confusion, a bunch of girls.
4: Hannah Zellman in the studio from the Institute for community justice um, and Hannah, I just wanted you to I just wanted to ask you about um, you know project teach is kind of like a, a related project parts of it inside the structure of um, ICJ and parts of it you know more connected with uh, Philadelphia fight do you, can you talk a little bit about that and kind of like the role of um, of of Project TEACH, like bringing people who are locked up, you know, in, into roles of organizers and activists on the outside?
2: So Project TEACH um, stands for Treatment Education Activists Combating HIV. Um, it was a project that came out of ACT UP Philadelphia um, and was founded in 1996 um, and was, a, you know, treatment education and activist training course for folks living with HIV, um, and was taught at a number of aid service organizations around the city, but really is housed at at Fight at this point. Um, and in about 2000, 2001, at the same time that we started going into the jails, um, Laura McTye and John Bell um, were the co-founders of Project Teach Outside, which was an adaptation of Project Teach specifically designed for folks who were coming home who had a history of incarceration because there was kind of a different, there was just different needs, I think, for folks that were really struggling with that. Um, And one of the most incredible things about Teach Outside was John Bell's leadership because he was himself somebody who was living with HIV, was a former prisoner, um, and one of the most powerful AIDS activists that I've had the honor to, to know and work with in my life. Um, And so the class was really designed to do a number of things, one of which is get the scientific medical information to folks, make sure that they know that HIV is not a death sentence, that they can really be partners in their health care and not passive patients, Um, and to kind of take that lesson of self-determination and um, control over your health care also sort of outside of the individual, um, and look at history of AIDS activism, history of prison activism, organizing, you know, strategies and, um, you know, how folks can in real time plug into, you know, local, national, international movements. Um, a lot of, a lot of teach graduates, I mean, there's thousands of teach graduates at this point, um, have gone on to be, you know, local, national and international AIDS and prison activists, um you know, delivering the closing remarks at the International AIDS Conference, for example, um, and really leading the charge um, in a number of ways. Um, and I, I, you know, there's been some, I, I, there's not a single sort of direct action or campaign or protest that I've been involved with in Philadelphia that has not included a number of people who are teach graduates there. Um, and again, we really bring in leaders who are alumni who are graduates into the classroom and connect people to them um, so that folks kind of have role models um, and are able to really see, you know, themselves mirrored in the leadership, understand that, you know, collective action is possible, that we ultimately are more powerful than the decision makers and, um, you know, that, that there's movements that are, that are happening to get To get in contact with and it's you know really powerful community building to learn together and even just break bread and fellowship and you know so
0: it seems like one thing that you're talking about there is the i mean you're that that people feel at one point like there's this big system that's sort of bigger than them and what they find and teach or maybe an icj in general is a community that can start to address that feeling of powerlessness or the feeling that like we are also we are actually bigger than this monolithic you know mass incarceration prison system that's hard to wrap your head around or hard to imagine how to unravel seeing mass incarceration as sort of like a man made tragedy. I was hoping you could go back to a little bit what you were talking about before um, of of the sort of um Intersections between the vulnerabilities for people with AIDS or HIV positive, and sort of um, maybe address some of the parallels there between a, a crisis that that is you know natural versus man made, or some some um, combination of both of how how you know addressing this sort of um, this huge thing, mass incarceration that we're trying to undo. We being decarcerate and our allies like ICJ, and also HIV as this huge thing, this epidemic, this pandemic that's hard to wrap your head around how we could solve it or fix it, um, but that we need to you know, be working on on a, on a, on a day-to-day level as well.
2: I think that it's it is interesting to sort of think about man-made versus non-man-made um, when we're talking about about HIV because, you know, um, obviously there's a lot of opinions and conspiracy theories and I won't kind of, you know, start there, but fundamentally where we are at now in the AIDS epidemic was not inevitable. And what has happened over the last 30 plus years with this epidemic is without question the result of inaction of our elected officials of folks in positions of power in the scientific and medical and research community and nothing, no progress has been made, no, you know, um, service has been put in place that has not been directly designed, fought for by folks living with HIV and their allies. Um, and that's true to this day in terms of the things that we're still fighting for. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of hope in the epidemic. We are closer than ever to a cure. One person actually has been cured. There's two babies that have been, who are born positive that have been cured. I mean, we're, we're sort of, there is this light at the end of the tunnel right now with that, um, that I think, unless you're in the, the sort of HIV echo chamber, you might not be as familiar with, but um, I think there's a lot of hope there. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think I spoke a little bit about what those parallel vulnerabilities look like and again these it it's structural drivers you know it's the way in which we are set up to sort of have groups of people that are like fundamentally economically disadvantaged um, and the sort of like various you know ways that you know folks experience you know violent systems and um, and trauma in their communities and and again, like the inaction of of folks in positions of power to respond to those structural drivers. And then the flip side of that, the like sort of direct and very purposeful action by elected officials and folks in positions of power to kind of like use the prison system to, again, like kind of further fuel this and like ensure that those kind of collateral consequences that folks with convictions face kind of keep them in in a, like, in a really marginalized um, experience.
0: It's a nice transition talking about people in power because we do have an event coming up that is about who is in power here in Pennsylvania. There's a gubernatorial debate uh, next Sunday, the 23rd. So that's a week from this Sunday. And there's a whole bunch of different sponsors. And I know that Decarcerate is a sponsor, I think Philadelphia Fight mm-hmm. is a sponsor, and that's going to be a lot of—it's going to be all of the candidates in the Democratic primary, I believe. I don't know that don't think Corbett's going to be there. Um, I can't imagine that he would subject himself to that kind of ritual humiliation of having his record raked over by um, people— organizations like us, but yeah, it's happened before, but (laughs) maybe he learned his lesson from the last time he's not, he's not the quickest on the uptake, but, um, (laughs) he might've, he might've figured it out by now. Um, so I encourage people to, to go out to that again. It's Sunday, um, March 23rd and it's at broad and pine. I believe it starts at, at one, um, PM. And, um, you can find more information about that online. I'm sure you can search for it, but you can also go to our website, decarceratepa.info. The next day is Monday, and is a Monday, and it's also our general meeting. This is going to be for the first time at the Friends Center at 6 p.m. So, if you want to come, find out more about decarcerate. Find out. How to get involved? Join one of our committees, and um, whatever uh, presentation. I'm not sure who who will be presenting at this general meeting, but a feature of all of our general meetings is information about how to get involved. So it's a great way to plug in if you're just hearing about us for the first time, or just to come and share with us if you're familiar with our work. That's March 24th, Monday, 6 p.m. at the Friends Center. 1501 Cherry. 1501 Cherry. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's where the Friends Center is. Yeah. Um, and, of course, as always, on Tuesday, you can go to Books Through Bars, uh, Packing Cafe here in West Philly at the A Space, and help get good reading material and information to people who are locked up around the Mid-Atlantic. Um, our time is, is just about up. I'm going to give you a, a chance to um, to say a few closing words, maybe. I did want to um to say before that that it is a hopeful time in a lot of ways and it's a, you know we see that also in fighting against mass incarceration there's more traction on this issue than at any time uh, in in my memory you've got eric holder testifying against mandatory minimums and asking you know the attorney general is asking people to apply for or for clemency on crack cocaine charges and, you know, working with reactionary Republicans from Kentucky to, you know, to to get rid of mandatory minimums and talking to the sentencing commission. And it's also a time when we have to remember to really hold those people accountable because at the point when they start to say things that we might agree with is when we've got to be most suspicious (laughs) and make sure that they actually abide by the kind of transformation that we want to see and not the sort of, um, cheap reform ticket that will buy our silence. Um, I hope that, you know, the same thing is, is true with, um, with the HIV community. There's obviously different aspects and different elements, but, um, but it's a time to make sure that, say, if that care, or that cure is available, that it's widely available, that it's available for all. Um, and so the light at the end of the tunnel should just motivate us further to fight.
2: Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a blast to hang out with you guys and talk about our work at ICJ. Um, for folks that are listening, if you want to you know know more about what we're doing, and in particular, if you want to get involved with the Support Center for Prison Advocacy, the work we're doing around employment expungements ban the box um you can check us out on our website at www.fight.org or you can find icj on facebook which is the which just institute for community justice
0: great thank you so much for being on our show tune in every saturday from noon to one to hear decarcerate radio here on 88.1 wpeb fm philadelphia your west philly community radio station
1: Oh